that uh, interesting time of year in liturgical seasons known as Epiphany. And for many churches, the story of the wise men going to Bethlehem following the star is part of that celebration. Emily clearly retold that story to the children when the wise men followed the star to Jerusalem to learn from the priests that the child to be born would be born in Bethlehem and how Herod, who did not know uh, where that child was being born, nor did Herod see the star, met with the wise men and sent them on a mission to find him so that they could come back and tell Herod where he was, not so that Herod could worship this newborn child, but malevolently so that Herod could get rid of him. For he was indeed, according to Herod, a great threat. Our text this morning finds the second part of the story that is not often read in church. Uh, It is known as the slaughter of the innocents. It comes to us in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. May God open up to us an understanding of the word. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son, he said. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee instead. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Epiphany may be the most anticlimactic liturgical celebration in all of the church's season, almost as anticlimactic as 12.01 a.m. on January the 1st. We're still singing Christmas carols, We Three Kings of Orient Are. We're still hearing the story of the wise men, which is supposed to be on Christmas time. We've put away our decorations, mostly. We put ours up the second day after Christmas. The trees have been thrown to the curb. The cities picked them up. 
We've survived the Mayan end of the world day as well as the New Year's Eve experience. And I suspect that most of us are glad that it's over and we're into life again in 2013. So why are we prolonging this? Liturgically speaking, that is, as far as our worship seasons go, Epiphany, which means a manifestation of the light, starts with the story of the wise men because of the manifestation of the star that the wise men followed from the east. It was a star that shone over the darkness of Bethlehem. And Matthew in our story wants us to know that in Bethlehem, at the time of Jesus' death, there was plenty of darkness to go around. Darkness in the Bible is the result of chaos and evil, the result of an absence of God, the light that is the presence of God. And if you remember the story in creation, the first story in creation, starting with Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the waters. While a wind swept from, uh, from God swept over the face of the waters, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And if you read that whole story, you see that it wasn't until later, several days of creation later, when God made the moon and the stars and the sun. So the first separation of light and darkness is, of course, the separation between the spiritual light and the darkness of evil. It was the presence of God entering into the world with God's word. Now, in biblical times, uh, darkness was a spiritual condition. The absence of God, the spiritual cause, the light of God's presence, the only solution. That's why Matthew wants us to see in this morning story what John's gospel reminds us that the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. John reminds us that the wise men from the east saw that light, while those who were still dwelling in the land of deep darkness did not. Heron and his legions were blinded to it. It was not until the wise men notified Herod that a star had risen, symbolizing the birth of this newborn king that Herod had any idea of what was happening. After this news, Herod, as well as all Jerusalem, Matthew says, all Jerusalem was afraid. Like cockroaches and vampires, those who live in darkness are most afraid of the light because it reveals who they are. So Matthew's clear here. A new king is born, king of the Jews, a star shines over the place of his birth, but darkness still reigns over the face of the land. Herod was still king, and as far as anyone could tell, except a few of the manger folk and those three wise men and some shepherd, Herod was in charge. In the meantime, Herod's lost in his own darkness. He was not a Jew. In fact, but an Idumean, which was an Edomite, living in a country or from a country right below Israel. It would be like if we did not like Mexico, which we do, but if we did not, it would be like a Mexican uh, 
being named King of the United States after we were made a vassal country by some other empire. He was not well liked. He had been appointed by the Romans to govern the state of Israel. He had gained his power by fighting over every square inch. And like all dark regimes, violence and the threat of violence was what kept him there. He maintained a private security force like Saddam Hussein while building over six magnificent fortresses all around the state of Israel so that he'd have easy access to protection if the time came. Those fortress walls and foundations still exist, by the way. He was so paranoid that he killed people in his own family, his wife, one of the nine, as well as three of his sons, because he thought they were a threat. Before he died, he commanded that at his death, the political prisoners should be killed so that there would be someone mourning in the land at least. And his response to the news that a new king had been born in Bethlehem was to slaughter every child who lived there who was under two years old. Without being too graphic for the sake of our children, just imagine the weeping of Rachel in Bethlehem facing the death of her children. This may help put it into some tragic perspective. Bethlehem was a small town, and historians say that the number of murdered children there was probably around 20. Let's just say for the sake of argument it was 20. 20 children murdered in the darkness imposed by violence and fear. It's the only way Herod knew how to act. Matthew does not want us to miss this point. The beautiful, sweet story of the wise men, their gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh, nestling with the baby Jesus in the manger of Bethlehem, in sharp contrast to the paranoid, sociopathic rage of King Herod, who was so afraid of anyone who might take his power, like, just like the Pharaoh in Moses' story, he would resort to infanticide and the slaughter of the innocents, if need be. Why is it that this always seems to be the case? That darkness and light in conflict with each other and the innocent always paying the price. Even those of us who follow the light claim to follow the light, at least on our best days, too often choose darkness, resorting to war and weapons, violence and militancy when we are most afraid. Darkness is never stronger than when we are so afraid that we give ourselves over to it in the name of peace and prosperity. If you read J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, which I did in a very hard time in my life for courage and for a sense of heroism, or if you saw the movie, you know that he understands the power of darkness in the same way. It was said that the men in the story were reduced by the Prince of Darkness, Melkor, in the beginning of their history, and that that residual darkness lay upon the hearts of all of the race. The wise among the Edain told an ancient tale of how Melkor had achieved his mastery over them 
At first he came among them as a fair-seeming teacher and told them how many things in the world were good, good things about the world, but increasingly he began to speak more and more about the dark. He told them that the first men came and they ended up dark because greatest of all is the dark, for it has no bounds. I came out of the dark, he said, but I am its master, and I will protect you from the dark, otherwise it will devour you. According to the tale, when the sun's light was blotted out, apparently by a solar eclipse, men grew fearful and bowed down to the master of the dark and took Melkor as their god so that he would protect them, as he said. And most men lived in great terror of the dark and sought to appease it and serve Melkor however they could. As a Christian, which Tolkien was, in the era of Hitler and Nazi Germany, although Tolkien would never publicly claim that there was a parallel, certainly true, there was, he knew of the darkness that grows greater by our fear of it and the power of someone or something that promises to keep the darkness at bay by protecting us and bringing us again peace and prosperity. Matthew knows this and wants us to see that there are times when the light is not so easy to discern. There are times when it seems the darkness overshadows everything, which is why only the wise men saw the light. Apparently there are times when even God in the form of Jesus in this story has to retreat from the powers of Joseph as Joseph and his, excuse me, from the powers of darkness as Joseph and his family did after being told in a dream by God that he needed to get out of town until the reign of Herod was over. Sometimes the darkness seems ever-present. Maybe that's why with this threat of darkness that we now can claim to own over 300 million guns in our country with 3 million new ones being produced every year. Maybe this is why we spend more money on defense than the next nine countries combined. Maybe this is why the radical and paranoid voices, the radical and paranoid voices in an otherwise moderate community of hunters and NRA members, the radical and paranoid voices continue to hold such power. As far as they can tell, God has retreated indeed down to Egypt land, and it is now left up to us to fight against the powers of darkness. And we had better arm ourselves for the coming fight, or we're going to be curtains. Those radical voices claim that guns have saved lives in spite of the facts. From 1979 to 1997, more people in the United States died by gun deaths than by battle deaths in every war since the Revolutionary War. In 18 years, more people died by gun deaths than by battle deaths in every war we have fought as a country, including suicides. 16% of which are. If you own a gun, you are four times more likely to be killed by a gun. 30,000 plus 
gun deaths every year in our country. When I told these statistics this morning, someone came up to me and said, more people are killed by a baseball bat than guns. That is the most absurd thing I've ever heard, yet that's what's being pronounced by the radical voices on the internet. Sixteen times more people are killed by guns than by blunt objects, one of which would be a baseball bat. The powers of Herod want us to believe that violence is the only way to ensure our peace and prosperity. But if that were the case, then why have we, with the largest per, tap, per, per capita gun ownership in the world, also have the largest per capita death rate in the world by guns? Are we any more safe now than we were 10 years ago when we had 300,000 less of them? When the Newtown slaughter of the innocents occurred, I made the case that this was not primarily about guns or violence on TV and in the internet or in video games or even about mental illness, but that they were only symptoms of a deeper problem. I still believe, as I said then, that these things are the result of a spiritual disease a spiritual darkness that exists in our land. Herod and the perpetrators of violence and threat sit in high places, and we are giving in to them out of fear. The gun lobby does not want the church in this argument. Obviously, they claim it is a political issue and one that the church should not be in the middle of. A Virginia preacher I know went to a church as a guest preacher and talked about gun issues and noticed a man in the second seat agitated and wringing his hands. And uh, as he walked down the aisle to shake hands, the man hung around toward the end and came up to him, would not shake his hand, and blew him out and said, you should be ashamed of yourself using the pulpit of God to speak about your own political views. Friends, this is a spiritual issue way before it is a political issue. Violence is always an affront to God, just as are the instruments of violence. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem as an infant, now get this, when he was born in Bethlehem as an infant, human and vulnerable, it was the most spiritual moment we as Christians claim the world has ever seen. But obviously to Herod and his, his, his henchmen, it was also the most political moment. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the light that comes into our world, means that now God has taken on flesh and blood and everything that is secular now also carries with it the promise of being sacred. All embodiment is now spiritual. All politics underneath which is spiritual truth. With God becoming incarnate, all things political are spiritual. It's as simple as that. Granted, we must watch ourselves from the pulpit so that we don't claim for our own political views, but we must also speak out to the affront that God must face every day. How we treat poor people, the outcast, the homeless, the homosexual, the unborn child, and the rights of the mother 
The way we tax and the way we spend, the dependence and even idolatry we have for weapons of war and guns of violence, the, the reality of what's going on in Israel and Palestine, these underneath are spiritual issues. All of this is about our relationship with God. It is about whether we will follow the light or continue to live in the land of darkness. And this is why the powers of darkness want us to keep quiet and to say, it's political. You can't talk about it because they know that they cannot win the spiritual fight. It's no accident that the Bushmaster assault rifle has been the gun to go to so often in these recent assassinations. These guns which come in camouflage or desert khaki. A flash suppressor on the end of the barrel to be able to shoot at night without a flare. Keep the light out of the darkness, so to speak. Quick change magazines let you reload easily. These weapons are advertised to scream assault. The company's catalog ads show soldiers moving on patrol through jungles, Bushmasters at the ready. When you need to perform, under pressure, Bushmaster delivers, says the ad. Forces of opposition bow down. Consider your man card reissued, the ads say. If it's good enough for a professional, it's good enough for you. This, of course, is nothing but Herod's way of violence and threat as the best protection against the perceived darkness. In the end, it is spiritual suicide. And giving in to the darkness by becoming part of it will inevitably do us in, unless. Friends, Jesus may have been born in a stable, may even have had to escape to Egypt to avoid his own annihilation, but only so that he could grow and become stronger in order to come back. Even the powers of death and darkness could not put him away at the end, even if it was on a cross. And it is the statement that our greatest hope in the midst of all of this darkness sometimes is that love and forgiveness is infinitely more powerful than all of the weapons in all of the world from the history of time. When darkness sometimes seems to be all there is, do not fear, the Christmas story tells us. Look, he's born into our world, the light that came into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Or, as Tolkien said in his great book, the world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it still grows, perhaps, the greater. May God give us the strength and the vision of those wise men to discern the light from the dark. Let us bring forth the lives, gifts of our lives and our labors.